Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 11, Heroes and Villains. The original air date was December 14th, 2014. The writers were the Kitsowitz. The director was Ralph Haymaker. And the title card is The Portal Door. We begin in Storybrooke, at the edge of town where Killian, Emma, her parents, Anna and Kristoff, watch Elsa blast down the icy wall, only to discover that the magical town line keeping them trapped is still intact. Emma senses that Ingrid's magic is still lingering and warns everyone not to cross the town line. And I enjoyed Anna's reaction to the warning, like a dejected, I yeah. want to leave the town. I want to leave the town. <laughs> it was very funny. It was very cute. It was very Anna. Not that leaving town would help the Arendelle queen and her family return anyway, as Elsa tells her sister that they're in a different realm. Okay, isn't this retconning an established rule that they have, though, that once someone is dead, their magic dies with them? Am I wrong? I don't think that's been an established rule here. I don't think we've ever actually had a scenario before this, since we don't have too many permadead magic users throughout the course of the show. Like Korra, the Gold Fairy, Peter Pan come to mind. But there were no like canceled spells with their death. I don't think they've ever like set up a rule about this. Mm. I must be getting my IPs like crossed and confused because that's just like jumping out in my mind. And it, it, yeah, I must have watched something fairly recently where that was a thing. I've definitely seen things where that's a thing, but I don't think they've ever established it once upon a time. Okay. Emma wants to seek out a portal or magic bean for her friends to return to Arendelle. Elsa believes they have time to be mythological, but Anna breaks the bad news that Hans and his 12 idiot brothers have taken over Arendelle. Elsa alerts Emma that time is now of the essence. <laughs> Killian then sneaks off to head to the pawn shop and report back to Mr. Gold. At the pawn shop, Mr. Gold has Hook's heart in a chokehold as the pirate relays his information. He elaborates that once someone crosses the town line, there is no coming back. This news annoys Mr. Gold, and he is fearful of Anna getting wind of his presence before he has the opportunity to escape. She can alert the others, specifically Belle, who Gold intends to keep blissfully ignorant. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> I legit loved Killian's smile in this scene, which basically said like, ha, everyone lived, bitch. It was very dashing. <laughs> I might be a dead man, but the crew gets but to live. <laughs> but you're not getting what you want either, so hee-haw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mr. Gold orders Killian to watch Anna and ensure she steers clear of the pawn shop. In the meantime, he is going to wake Belle and give her the life she always wanted. <laughs> I doubt that. He also, once again, says the stupid line about the stupid stars and the stupid sky matching the stupid stars <laughs> and the stupid hat, and I just swear to God I'm going to have to kill him myself. <laughs> Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Belle is poking around Rumpelstiltskin's Great Hall, admiring all of his relics when he reappears, returning early from Camelot. He teases her lack of cleaning and snooping, but she isn't phased in the least. Belle shames him for not sharing his tales of traveling the world, especially with her. 
the only constant in his life who has never been able to travel. She demands he tell her about his trip to Camelot. She has returned with a gauntlet, which can locate anyone's greatest weakness. Belle is not terribly impressed, asking why he would need such a trinket, as he already possesses the power to destroy any foe. Rumpel admits that it's about manipulation, and for that to work, you must find one's weakness. Oh, everything is about manipulation with you, you scaly twat. (laughs) And for nearly everyone, that weakness is the thing they love most. The gauntlet points the user in the right direction. Back in present-day Storybrooke, Mr. Gold gently wakes Belle with a tickle to her cheek. He has delivered her a tray of breakfast, which is just the first of two surprises. He tells his wife that it's time they had a proper honeymoon, and he intends to take her to a magical city called New York. After breakfast, Belle is to pack a suitcase because it is time for her to see the world. Elsewhere, at the Mills family vault, Regina returns Marion's heart to her chest, waking her instantly. She is freed from the curse because Ingrid is dead. Wait, no, I know why she's freed from the curse. It's not because Ingrid is dead. We actually had the answer last week from the Kitsuits. It's the reason Arendelle defrosted, casting the spell of Shattered Sight, used all of Ingrid's powers, in which case all spells she had cast before that she was like holding on to lifted so the reason why marion is awake and just waiting for her heart to be returned to her is because of ingrid actually casting the spell of shattered sight because that's what the kids but then why is the town line still filled with ingrid's magic if all of her because Because the town line was part of this spell of shattered sight because she wanted them in there i mean i'm I'm giving the kids the benefit of the doubt but i think that's why also the town line by i stand by my because inconsistent writing thank you okay thank you i just need to hear it but the reason why Marion is woke, woke up is not because of Ingrid's death. It's because of the spell of shadow. That would make sense. The, the town, the town line one, because she undid it. So that should be gone. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They, they're gone. not. They're not consistent to their own world building. Is the problem? Yes. But I guess ultimately the town line was was messed up from the curse being cast. Oh, for sure. It just was a different messed up before, and Ingrid added her own stank on it, but that stank didn't leave. Because it was a memory wipe before, and now it's just, yeah. it just can't come back. Yeah, now mm-hmm. it's always been before like... Before it was just, you don't know who you are if you cross it, because that was the major plot point, was people lose their memories if they go across, and now it's a you-can-never-come-back thing. Yeah, and it's always been when you cross the line, you can't see the other side. Because that was that whole traumatic flashback episode with poor sad dad getting killed and Owen running. Remember Owen? Remember Ethan Embry? (laughs) I do. The arm of the law has reached out and embraced Greg. Greg, that was his fake name, right, Greg? We'll just call him Shoplifter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyways, back to this. She is freed from the curse and Marion gets up and embraces Robin. Robin, you suck. Robin, you suck. Robin, you do nothing of value. (laughs) All right. So Regina goes to Granny's to enjoy a little richly deserved self-pity when Marion shows up to talk. She first thanks Regina for saving her life twice and then acknowledges that Robin has moved on from Marion to Regina. Marion does not want her husband to be with her out of obligation. She wants to be chosen. Therefore... She will not be an obstacle should Robin decide to stay with Regina. Y'all gonna do that thing like you do with dogs where the two of you both call him and see who he comes to and that's who he likes better? 
Have you seen that episode of Judge Judy about the person who like is accused of stealing this other person's dog? And mm-hmm. Judy is like, put the dog down, asshole. And then the dog runs to the real owner and they pick up the dog up and they cry and they're so happy and the dog is so happy. And then you watching also cry. It's like the only good thing Judge Judy's ever done. I think I have seen that episode, funnily enough. I I was also thinking more along the lines of when Bart and Lisa were arguing over who Maggie loved more, and then they put her down to see who she crawled to, but it was like to the television. So Robin (laughs) would just crawl to being a dumbass. (laughs) He'd crawl to the merry men. (laughs) (laughs) My boys. Hey, my my boys. Oh, me little John. Saturday (laughs) nights are for the boys. (laughs) Meanwhile, at the mansion, Mr. Gold and Killian follow another walking broom as Hook swears vengeance on Gold in the next life. This amuses Rumpelstiltskin as he is immortal. Inside the mansion, Mr. Gold reveals that this residence belongs to the sorcerer, who also gave Ingrid passage to the land without magic. He easily pulls up the sorcerer's portal door to Arendelle. Back at the pawn shop, Belle is trying to fit her belongings in an old leather suitcase, but is having difficulty. Girl, same. We feel your pain. Also, Mr. Gold needs to magic some omnidirectional wheels on that old-ass suitcase. (laughs) Henry shows up with a casual, hey, Grandma, and she tells him about the upcoming trip to New York. Okay, but Henry calling Belle Grandma is maybe funnier to me than it should be. It's very funny. I left my tits off. You definitely see her, like, get a slight, like, tick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like, mm-hmm. she's like, mm, grandma, grandma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Henry informs her about the town line situation, which Belle brushes off, believing her husband can probably remove whatever lingering Snow Queen magic is on it. And God, thank you, Henry. At least someone is actually informing this woman about important details. Belle then notices Henry's long face and asks what's wrong. He shows her the storybook and worries about his mother and all of the bad things that have happened to her. Belle reassures him that Regina is on a much better path now, and just because bad things happen in the past doesn't mean they will continue to happen. Henry thanks his new grandma, who bristles at the title and asks him to simply call her Belle. She then enlists him to help her look around the shop for another suitcase. As Henry tells her about the majesty of the New York Public Library, he climbs up a ladder to get a better access to the high shelves. And I thought Henry telling Belle excitedly about the library in New York was very cute. He was like, and there's these lions. Like, aw. It was sweet. Very. A pile of objects tumble down to the floor, and he catches the suitcase he had spied. One of the objects that spilled down was the gauntlet from Camelot. Belle is visibly shocked and upset to see it. Back in the past, Belle has delivered tea to Rumpelstiltskin before she declares that she has deduced why he collects so many magical objects. Because he has a hole in his heart. Girl, that's called a congenital heart defect. One in 100 babies are born with one. You should get that checked out. Rumpelstiltskin says that there's only one thing missing in his life right now. Clean laundry. Belle suddenly finds herself outside by the laundry lines. Enraged, she complains out loud as she knows he listens to her. She knows he is upset because she hit the nail on the head and figured him out. A puppy barks, distracting Belle. She spies an adorable Dalmatian, and because the Chanted Forest lacks McGruff and the Ronald Reagan Nair Stranger Danger safety videos, <laughs> Belle follows the puppy when it runs to the forest. She is immediately kidnapped. And it's okay, Belle. I probably, too, would have followed a lost puppy into the forest. Yeah, same. 
In her defense, it was a puppy. It wasn't like a skeezy guy with a panel van going, hey, girl, you want to see my puppies? They're in this van. All you got to do is get in. Right. Yeah, just a little puppy. That's what a Regina is eventually going to do to her. <laughs> Say get in the panel van. It's full of puppies. Well, just like cozy up. Her eventually, she yeah. kidnaps her. Yeah. Remember, she sweet talks her. She's like, hi, I'm going to join you. That is Belle's future. Mm-hmm. We return to present day Storybrooke where Killian finds Emma at Granny's Diner with the Arendelle crew. He tells her that he just saved the day, prompting Emma to excuse herself to go talk to him. Mr. Gold is speaking through Killian. I've had enough of this guy. Letting Emma know about the portal to Arendelle in the mansion that he learned about via Rumpelstiltskin. He would go with her, but alas, he bruised himself during the curse and wants it looked at. Emma caresses his face, but notices his dour expression. She asks what's wrong, but he insists he is fine. He only gives her a peck of a kiss, saying, see you around, love, before tightly grasping her wrist in hopes she will catch on. Emma is suspicious, but lets him walk away for now. Although she's definitely like, that was the most lifeless kiss you've ever given me. Something is very, very wrong. Like, those alarm bells are ringing. Back in the past, Rumpelstiltskin is looking outside for Belle when a raven drops a sand dollar at his feet. Which I actually thought that he pooped on him for a minute. <laughs> you did! That was so funny! You were like, oh man, I thought he was pooped on! <laughs> I'm like, I thought that bird pooped on him, and I was really <laughs> delighted for a minute. <laughs> I was like, good boy! You Rumpel poop Stil- on that mean man. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin waves his hand over it, and a hologram of a captive bell appears telling him he needs to bring the gauntlet from Camelot to the base of Demon's Bluff at midnight, or else she is going to be killed. Enraged, Rumpel yells up at the raven that the owner has crossed a line. Returning to the present day, Regina and Robin are watching Marion and Roland play by the lake as they feed ducks. Regina believes that Robin is there to break up officially, but he surprises her by choosing her saying that he and Marion will work out co-parenting Roland. And Robin, if you had come to this conclusion like 10 episodes ago, things would have been so much less messy. Yeah, but he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. He pulls out the alternate storybook page, which depicts he and young Regina kissing and living their happily ever after. Their magic moment is interrupted when Roland shouts for help. Marion has upped and fainted again, the frost curse returning. Girl, what is this fucking nonsense? Regina suggests that since the ice wall is down, the best solution is to take Marion across the town line, as she will enter the world without magic. However, it would not only be shitty to send Marion into the unknown world by her lonesome, crossing the town line is a one-way trip due to the current curse. Just send her with Belle and Gold. Surely they won't mind her crashing their honeymoon. Not at all. We skip ahead 20 minutes at the town line where Regina is in her car watching Will Scarlet and the other merry men talk to Robin as a sickly Marion and Roland wait. Mr. Gold slips into the passenger seat of Regina's car, saying that he hates goodbyes. Regina tells him she is not in the mood for his gloating. In a shocking display of candid emotions, Rumpelstiltskin explains that he is the one bidding her farewell. He also asks her to tell Henry he will miss him and his charming attempts at snooping around the pawn shop. Regina explains the premise of Operation Mongoose, which intrigues Mr. Gold, who is sad to report that he has no clue who the author is. 
Regina asks how Rumpelstiltskin was able to achieve his content ending with Belle, to which he answers, because I took it. He slyly suggests a casual murder, but Regina insists she is not that person anymore. Mr. Gold counters with, being good doesn't mean good things will happen. Which, true, but going all ham evil doesn't mean that one, good shit will happen at all, or two, that there won't be a grip of people in line to whoop your ass in recompense. Yeah. Regina acutely surmises that this is all sounding eerily like the old Rumpelstiltskin. He says he has not changed per se, but evolved, citing his return from the dead, only to be enslaved by the Wicked Witch as his touchstone for this. Okay, okay, right. Point taken. However, this show does not have strong enough show-running direction to deal with people going evil as a way to deal with trauma, which is why they should have stuck with a changed Rumpelstiltskin. The trauma to evil path line they've done with most of their antagonists, honestly. Right, and honestly, and they'll do it again, by God. Peter Pan is one of the only ones I can think of that wasn't fueled by trauma. And they don't make that clear. Well, I guess they did have, I mean, it was very simplified, but Regina's slogan for a promotional material for like two seasons was like, evil's not born, it's made, or something like that. But I think that's as close as they come. And then probably just in a few of the Regina plot lines specifically. I'm going to reference something that I know both of you are familiar with, and that's Buffy, right? Mm -hmm. And spoilers for a 25-year-old show. But when Tara dies, is she she's murdered kind of accidentally? She catches a stray bullet. She yeah. catches a stray bullet, right, yeah. Like, it's unintentionally murdered. Willow goes full Dark Willow, right, on a path of hell-bent vengeance. And she turns her trauma into villainy, right? And it doesn't last all fucking season. No, <laughs> like, it's three episodes. Right, exactly. They get the point across, Right. You know, and she does murder somebody. She flays somebody. She <laughs> <Yeah>. flays somebody. <laughs> she, she, she's like, Willow goes hard. Alive. Yeah, no, she, wow, you she went what? hard. Good for her because he sucked. Yeah, yeah no, sucks. he sucked. Sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, there's a character arc where that does happen and it does it well. And it's like, he's citing these things that, yeah, sure, super traumatic, right? But then they don't establish that at all. They just have him being same old, same old. New tricks, same old tired pony. I don't know. I just don't buy it. I mean, if you want to go back to Buffy, Buffy also had the good sense to have a villain per season. Mm -hmm. And then the next season we moved on. We sure shit did. <laughs> Mr. Gold insists that there is no author of his fate or storybook containing his destiny. Yes, there is. You have a huge hissy fit and you stamp your way through a floor and die, you know, like a nerd. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is what happens. In That's the fairy how Rumpelstiltskin's story ends. <laughs> I've read it. <laughs> Mr. Gold says he is about to get everything he truly desires. He then takes Regina's hand and says, as unbelievable as it sounds, I want the same for you. With that, he exits the car and fucks off. And I, I really liked this scene between Regina and Rumpel. I thought it was very well acted by both mm, of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, those two, every time they act together in like a serious scene is, is a treat. Regina steals herself for her final goodbye, giving Robin his final instructions, revealing she also has given him a map and enough money to make a new start. 
Marion struggles to maintain herself, but Robin needs another moment. She takes Roland across the border and is instantly healed. As they look back into the town, they see nothing. Robin and Regina then share one last passionate kiss before he exits the town backwards, holding on to Regina's hand as long as he can. Regina watches them walk away from Storybrooke as she tears up the alternate book page. I'm like, someone could have given Marion some modern day clothing before they sent her out into the world like this. Throw her a t-shirt, a jeans, something. <laughs> like, Lynn, you said something really funny when we watched the episode. Did I? Yeah, you were like, the people at Denny's are going to think she's from the Renaissance Fair or something. <laughs> I was going to say, was it anything to do with the Renaissance Fair? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. <sighs> I don't remember. Your girl doesn't sleep very much. <laughs> I'm like, that was someone else said that and I don't know her anymore. <laughs> Back in the past, Rumpelstiltskin is at Demon's Bluff, where Maleficent, Ursula, and Cruella de Vil have band together to take on the Dark One and ensure he holds up his end of the ransom. And I'm just like, Cruella, you do not match these two at all. <laughs> like, Maleficent and Ursula work together very well, but you are so out of time with, with the Enchanted Forest. I, as Elisa, I understand why, because I've already seen all of season 4B. So I, I know why, but still, she looks so out of place in the Enchanted Forest. Her inclusion is stupid, to be perfectly honest, but I'll rant about that at the end of the episode. I, <laughs> I do want to just chime in here and say, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Children, can you pick it out? <laughs> it's usually supposed to be harder to pick the one that doesn't fit, though. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like Maleficent's revealed and you're like, oh, Christian Powers, she's amazing. And it's like, oh, and Ursula's revealed with the tentacles first. And you're like, wow, so cool. Look at her green outfit. And then it's straight up just Cruella DeVille from the cartoon. And you're like, yeah, she's just like, oh. hi, I've got a coat and some pumps. And you're like, okay. Oh, oh, oh. cool, <laughs> man. I was expecting, but I guess I was expecting it because I've seen it before, but still. It's well, we saw, we saw the, we saw the puppy. The puppy was a Dalmatian. <laughs> yeah. With, with a collar too, on like a modern collar. I think the puppy had. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I was just like, um... It had, it had a little bone name tag on it. They taunt each other for a hot minute, and Belle is nearly killed when Rumpelstiltskin finally gives the self-proclaimed Queens of Darkness the gauntlet. They release Belle before revealing that they are tired of their enemies always getting happy endings. The gauntlet is to be used to reveal the weaknesses of their foes. Once they are alone, Rumpelstiltskin reassures Belle that the women will not be able to harm her prompting Belle to ask why he cares about her. The Dark One realizes he has caught some feelings for his maid, but poorly tries to cover it up, saying if anyone is going to crush Belle's heart, it's going to be him. Okay, so I need to rant for a minute, you guys. I am so goddamn sick of how impotent they make Maleficent in this stupid show. Like, she's literally the mistress of all evil. She should be the most powerful of all the villains. But every time she shows up in the show, she immediately gets her ass handed to her, and she should be wiping the floor with everyone and turning Rumpelstiltskin inside out. I'm just so mad. Like, she's so cool, 
and this show tries to make you think she isn't. And fuck you, show, for trying to create a world where Maleficent is less cool than Rumple goddamn Stiltskin. Like, get wrecked. <laughs> She's still so cool, though, even with the show consistently nerfing her so far. Like, you believe that maybe she has a plan all along and she was only captured because she wants to be for ulterior motives because Kristen Bauer just oozes cool and power. And I'm really glad we get more of her this season. Exactly. They should have had her just be like the next big bad for season four or four B, whatever. Because look at her. Fucking look at her. She's glorious. She's amazing. We return to the present where Mr. Gold and Killian are in the clock tower waiting for the stars to align, so the former can crush Hook's heart and cleave himself from the dagger's control. The roof of the clock tower opens up like an observatory, and the countdown begins. Elsewhere, Henry and the charming Swan family have led our Arendelle gang to the mansion where they find the portal waiting for them. Honestly, I do think we should have gotten more Anna and Elsa in this episode, as season 4A is primarily their arc. And I just, I really wish we'd gotten more of a conclusion of their story than just, I think they have a total of like three or four minutes of screen time in this episode. One of their scenes was even cut. It's such a shame. Elsa, Anna, and Kristoff say their farewells, with the Queen asking Emma to pass along their thanks to Killian and Mr. Gold as well. And Emma and Elsa's friendship was just their little goodbye here is very sweet and they were very sweet and I'm going to miss Emma getting to have this friend who really understands her and like she has Regina but that's that's a very complicated and layered friendship. Emma and Elsa was this very pure friendship and so I'm sad that she's not going to have that anymore. Elsa steps through the portal then Kristoff and just as Anna is about to go through she turns back and asks who this super helpful Mr. Gold was in the Enchanted Forest. As soon as David says evil sorcerer Anna's expression tells us that she knows exactly who this Mr. Gold is as soon as Rumpelstiltskin's name is said Anna is like girl what <laughs> like her her expression is so fucking good <laughs> as like the fuck did you just say <laughs> I like half expected Anna to like go grab a weapon and say well looks like my work here isn't done after all <laughs> and just like go wreck gold and I would love this show so much more if the finale was just Anna kicking his ass for a solid 20 minutes. Oh, that like would have been so sword. good. <laughs> like, a, like a crossbow or a sword or something just appears in her hand from sheer will. I'm sure there was a f there was fucking weapons in that goddamn house. I'm oh, sure I'm she sure. could have gotten a broadsword or, you know, an axe. We love an axe. Love, love a big love battle. Two-hander battle axe. Mm-hmm just gone and just destroyed him it would have been the perfect finale <laughs> emma is immediately on high alert stating that mr gold explicitly said he knows nothing about anna who was like uh yeah he's a lying liar who lies everything goes click for emma who realizes that they've all been played like a damn fiddle like bless anna firmly going like guys do not trust him he is a liar he has a hat that eats people. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, over at the library clock tower observatory, Transformer, Mr. Gold turns the hat into a much more satisfactory looking nebula galactic black hole thing when Snow and Emma show up to stop him. But let the record show. He says the dumb stars in the hat match the stars in the skyline again. 
and that when I was watching this, I wrote down, oh, fuck you and your stars in the sky and the stars in the hat. Cram the whole hat up your ass. <laughs> I just feel like everyone needed to go on the same visceral journey that I went on. <laughs> he immobilizes them before they can act and goes to crush Hook's heart when Mr. Gold is suddenly frozen still. Behind him, Belle announces her presence, the Dark One dagger in hand. And I was just like, hell yeah, Belle! She makes him drop the heart and release everyone. She then commands him to take herself and him to the town line. They disappear in a poof of red smoke and reappear at the town line. Get him, get him. <laughs> I am legit so, so, so proud of Belle for saving the day. She is her own handsome hero in this moment. Oh, she yeah, she is. is. All right, here, hold on. Look, here comes a consequence, 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 consequences of my actions chasing me right now. I don't want no consequence, consequence, consequence. I don't want no consequences chasing me right now. What is this? <laughs> what? Is that a TikTok? It is a TikTok. <laughs> like, it's beautiful, but what is it? It's Deadpool who has stolen Captain America's shield. <laughs> and... Oh, okay. <laughs> Belle does not permit him to speak as it is finally her turn to talk. She is finally facing the truth. She reveals that she found the gauntlet, the one he had allegedly traded for her life, leading her to believe she saw something good in him for the first time. She finally gave in to the signs she had been ignoring and used the gauntlet to show her gold's weakness, the thing he loves most. It led her directly to the real dagger. Realizing he will never change and that power will always be the thing Rumpelstiltskin loves most. Rumpelstiltskin tries to explain his actions away, admitting he likes power, especially when it means they can have it all. Belle says that she just wanted him. She just wanted to be chosen. And she tried so hard to be everything for him. But she lost herself in the process. Not anymore. He promises to change for her again, but Belle insists he never changed in the first place. He begs her forgiveness, but it's too late. Belle only knows that there is a beast. Using the dagger, Belle commands Rumpelstiltskin to leave Storybrooke. Good for you, girl. Fucking good for you. Elisa, put some cheering or fanfare or something in here. It's what this queen deserves. <laughs> I'm so, so proud of her in this moment. He pleads in vain, stating he doesn't want to lose her, only for his wife to declare that he already has. Through her tears and sorrow, Belle bravely marches forward, forcing Rumple across the town's line. With the magic no longer correcting his leg, Rumpelstiltskin tearfully falls to the ground as his limp returns and he reaches out in vain for his wife to forgive him. This was such a powerful scene. Emily and Robert did such an excellent job evoking these really raw emotions, especially her. She oh, was yeah. so good. Yeah. God, I wish this was the last time we saw this guy. It would be the end he deserves, but the show never lets me have nice things. Meanwhile, in present-day Arendelle, Elsa admires a portrait of the three royal sisters which Anna found hidden in the East Wing. Anna is minutes away from getting married, all dolled up in her mother's wedding gown, just slipping on some gloves to hide the bruises on her knuckles from punching Han's eye. 
and their obviously successful triumph over all those idiot Summer Isle brothers. Elsa asked her sister why she postponed her wedding for her quest all those years ago. Anna tells her that she couldn't walk down the aisle unless Elsa was as happy as she is. The sisters hug before catching a whiff of delicious chocolate. Hand in hand, the sisters prepare for Anna to walk down the aisle at last. I am genuinely upset we don't get to see Kristoff and Anna's wedding. Me too. After all of that? Like, what the hell? I know. At least we know Anna beat up Hans, small blessings, but we so deserved that wedding scene in this episode. And you know what? We also deserve to see the beating up Hans scene. Yeah. 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 Later, at Granny's Diner in Storybrooke, Emma shoves Killian's heart back into his chest, and he gives her the smooch of a lifetime. But seriously, though, Killian is so into the fact that Emma just, like, slams his heart back into him. He's like, oh, he has the vapors. <laughs> They're so cute. Emma then sidles up to Regina, much to the former evil queen's chagrin, as she begs the saviors to spare her a hope speech. Emma says that Regina is mistaking her for her mother and instead orders them both shots. This is the weirdest goddamn diner. <laughs> Emma then nervously tells Regina she did the right thing which is totally a hope speech, even though Emma insists it's a compliment. Regina says she doesn't need validation, as she knows she did the right thing. She knows because she is miserable again. Emma says, well, if it makes you feel any better, so is gold. Regina raises her shot glass to Emma, because schnadenfreude is a glorious emotion one must indulge in. Three cheers for goddamn pettiness. We love to see it. I love this moment. It was so good. Henry runs in with a big smile on his face, telling his moms that he has something to show them. He takes them back to the sorcerer's mansion where he has uncovered a hidden room, or rather a library filled with empty storybooks. Thousands of them, all blank. Henry, look at you, you clever boy. Such a clever lad. Regina and Henry have quickly deduced this must be the author's house. They clue Emma in on Operation Mongoose. And to their mutual delight, she joins them, determined to keep her promise to Regina, who deserves a happy ending. That was the gayest ending yet, and I'm here for it. Let's go! Henry Emma has, has two, two moms! moms. Uh, Emma joining Operation Mongoose was the cutest. I love this moment. It should have been the end of the episode. I thought <laughs> it, it was. Been. I thought it was, apparently, <laughs> even though this was my second time watching it. I mean, it's a better episode if you turn it off right there. <laughs> I did! We flash forward to six weeks later. As Mr. Gold walks through New York City to an aquarium, it is there he meets with Ursula, the sea witch, who now has a job as a caretaker for the sea life at the aquarium. She berates the fish for not liking their fish pellets and says they can resort to cannibalism, to which Mr. Gold retorts that he thought cannibalism was frowned upon under the sea. Fish eat each other all the time, stupid. Right, that was like the <laughs> dumbest fucking line. I'm like, I, just, um, I was like, are you a moron? <laughs> Mr. Gold proposes working together with her to find the author who can change their story. But first, they have two more stops to make. Boo! <laughs> and the credits! Gosh darn, I was so proud of Belle this episode. It must have been so painful for her, but I'm so glad she was finally able to take her agency back. It was really cathartic to see her pull the wool from off her eyes and see everything clearly and save the day. She was the hero 
which I love that for her. Like, finally, this is such a good Belle episode. It was so good. But I do wish Anna, Elsa, and Kristoff had a little more screen time in the finale of their arc. I enjoyed them and wish they had done a little more for their send-off. Like between the very short anticlimactic climax of the Ingrid story and then this, I was like, oh, that's it. I saw that there was one cut scene of the three of them at Granny's with a Twinkie that Anna calls a magic cake. And uh, that scene also had a name drop for Anton as Emma had gone to see if he had grown any more magic beans. So shout out to our main man, Anton. We miss you. Wish you were in more episodes, but you were doing much more important things, I'm sure. Overall, I can't help but feel like this episode might have been better as the season 4B opening and not the season 4A closer. But then again, there were a few moments that did feel like a really satisfying finale beat. So I guess it worked for me. I just can't help with comparing it to how epic the finale of season 3A was. This was kind of a mixed bag of an episode. Like, I was so proud of Belle. But like I said before, I so wish the ending Gold had gotten was just him sad without magic on the outside. Because really, for someone who was willing to pull such horrible bullshit to get magic and just kept flaunting how he was going to have it all, his hubris being his downfall and him ending up with nothing, no magic, no bell, no anything, would be the ideal end of his arc. Of course, this goddamn show can't leave well enough alone, so he'll be back, but you know, what can you do? Also, can we talk about his dream team he's going to come back and be annoying with in the future? Ursula and Maleficent, I get. But why is there third Cruella? Literally, she just kills dogs and wears them. Like, what a dud. What even? <laughs> like, what I was saying to Elisa earlier is if they hadn't felt the need to throw Jafar into Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, <laughs> it would have made sense to be like, and Jafar, the other powerful magic user here. But instead they were like, oh, for some reason we used him in Wonderland. So, um, puppy killer it is. Yay. <laughs> I never in my whole life understood the appeal of Cruella or her inclusion here. Like, what about Mad Madam Mim? Oh, that would have been good. Right? Like. A kooky magic user right there. There you go. I mean, they already fucking mentioned Camelot. Like, what a great link that would have been. Uh-huh. Anywho. Because I do live in this wretched dimension where the writers of the show cannot let go of their security blanket villain Rumpelstiltskin. I am going to gloss over my usual rant and just go straight to the part where I compliment Belle for her agency and her strength. Like my co-hosts, I really wish we had more time with the Arendelle crew especially the wedding, since it was um kind of a big deal that we get them to the altar. Maybe we didn't see the wedding just because of budget, and that's such a shame. I don't think so, because they cobbled together the half CGI, half real wedding of, what's their faces? You know, the main people. <laughs> Snow and Charming. Snow and Charming. Snow and Charming in the, pilot, in the pilot fucking episode, you know? No, 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 no. They have a much nicer budget. Yes, they now. honestly could have done it on the cheap. You really just have to like show Anna and Kristoff lots of close-ups on them just like smiling at each other. There while there's voiceover of vows. Yeah. Cut to Elsa tearfully smiling. They yeah. kiss. Bingo bango. Minute and a half scene. Yeah. I mean, then we did have like four deleted scenes, so I, I feel like more it was a time constraint than anything. 
Yeah, they could have cut some of Mr. Gold's bullshit instead. <laughs> I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. Talk about some costumes. Maleficent's gown. It was so sparkly and stunning. I thought the blue stone around her neck was a little too much, like it stood out in a bad way because it was powder blue, while the rest of her is like all black and garnet. But that's my one complaint. But yeah, her costume absolutely blew everybody else's out of the water. Yeah, Maleficent looked amazing. And I was also really glad they took a unique approach to Ursula, as opposed to going for something closer to the film. It was nice to see the return of some of Eduardo's creativity with, with the character's look. Like, would I wear it? No, it's not something that's for me or for my style. But it was very interesting. and I like them taking her look in a different direction. I know we've seen it before, but Anna's wedding dress is just so gosh darn pretty. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have done without the huge gloves. <laughs> I, I get it. Like her being like, I'm all bruised up. I got to cover it up. But they were ugly. But the dress <laughs> is so pretty with all the little butterflies. Even if I am still so, so sad we didn't get to see the wedding. But I got to say on the negative side, Cruella's wig was so bad. It was hurting my feelings and stealing all my attention in both scenes. <laughs> Like, I barely noticed what Maleficent and Ursula were wearing, because I was like, that wig. Time to play Who's That Guest Star? In season four, episode 11, we have Georgina Haig. She played Elsa. Australian actor Georgina Haig is known for her roles on TV shows such as Underbelly, The Elephant Princess, Fringe, Reckless, The Crossing, and Archive 81. And then we have Elizabeth Lale as Anna. American actor Elizabeth Lale is known for her roles in film and TV in titles such as Dead of Summer, Gossip Girl, Ordinary Joe, You, and Five Nights at Freddy's. I went with Lynn to see Five Nights at Freddy's, and it made me so happy to see her. Lynn said to me earlier this evening, did you just enjoy the movie because it was PETA and Princess Anna? And I was like, oh, I enjoyed it more than that. But I did really enjoy the chance to see both her and Josh Hutcherson again, because I love PETA. It's time to take our final season 4A trip down Once Upon a Timeline. So in this episode, we had a series of flashbacks, which were super easy to place in the greater Enchanted Forest timeline. So hooray for that. So from all the episodes we've seen so far... The episode with flashbacks that take place directly before this episode are those seen in season two, episode 17, Lacey, where Belle helps Robin Hood and Rumpel and Belle soften towards each other. And the episode's flashbacks that take place most closely after the ones seen in this episode are those in season two, episode 13, Tiny, where we first meet Anton, aka Tiny. So double Anton reference for the episode. All right, time for some rants and raves. What's everyone been liking or not liking? (laughs) Halloween is over and I am so sad. I missed so much of the season because I was stuck inside with my sewing machine and I am filled with regret and resentment. But we're having Halloween and doing our best to enjoy the Halloween spirit throughout November. We even watched a few Halloween movies this month already. There's no also, Halloween events, though. No. But what we did get to do this last week is Lynn and me saw Watcher Live. We saw the Ghost Boys, the Google Boys. We saw them, and it was really fun and funny, wasn't it, babe? Yes, it was fun and funny. It was fun and funny. You love your boys. I do love my boys. I was Five Nights at Freddy's. I liked it. 
I thought it was a good love letter to people that were fans of the franchise. Mm-hmm. There's lots of like winks and nods to like if you've been here through the whole thing, you'll get this. Like it's not the best movie in the entire world, but it's fun and it's a perfectly decent movie, which is a rare gem when it comes to video game adaptations. To prep for seeing it, Lynn showed me a bunch of Matt Pat game theory lore videos about Five Nights at Freddy to get me up to speed. It didn't really scare me. I thought it was pretty fun. Spoiler alert, just a heads up in case it is a trigger. There are actually some very heavy themes. I mean, it's dealing with children ghosts, so. Child death is a huge theme of it. Okay. If you are familiar at all with the franchise, child death is a prominent theme of the video games. Right. Which, you know, is not a non-heavy subject and something not everyone's going to be okay with. Correct. So. It could be triggering. Yeah. Lynn and me were talking about it, and it actually reminded us both of 1980s, kind of for children, more like just for tween, tween movies uh-huh that are more like dark fantasy adventures uh-huh. um so definitely like a gremlins oh, i'd say okay. it's very much on par with gremlins it's got terrible reviewer scores but high audience scores okay i feel like i don't know if the issue is people going into it expecting something it isn't and forgetting that at the core of it they were video games that were geared at early teens when they first came out and so it does make sense that it goes more into the like this is a pg-13 horror movie right it's a middle grade horror it's you know it's the next step up from goosebumps right and i think people were expecting a hard r horror instead of a middle grade horror and maybe that was part of the issue that could be part of the issue i think middle grade horror is something that has lost its place in cinema in recent years you know yeah which is a sad thing because middle grade horror is something very near and dear to my heart same because it's kind of like where i'm most comfortable if you want something a little harder than goosebumps but you don't want to go into the halloweens and friday the 13th of the world this is a good place for you to hang out Mm -hmm. and honestly a lot of times because of the way it's written for those age ranges a lot of times middle grade horror is a lot more creative than your hard r horrors are going to be anyway Right, because you have to be more creative because you can't rely on, like, panty shots and, like, the the sexual aspect that a lot of horror does lean very heavily on. Oh, Lynn, we watched a great new middle grade horror last year. What was it called? The Night Books? Oh, shit. Uh, something like that. Let me... I think you guys told me about that one. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that was our... We I think it. it was. I think it was a rant to rave. It was, uh... Night uh, books. Sam, yeah. Sam Rami doing, like, a like a middle grade yeah, horror. Yeah, I remember you telling me. With Kristen Ritter as the big bad in it. Oh, nice. I think yeah, I have creative. it, like, buried in my Netflix queue. You oh, should, I like you that one of the like things it. that's recommended if in the, like, if you liked this, you'll like this, is House with a Clock on the Walls. Nice. I'd say House with the Clock on the Walls is probably like a goosebumps, but like there's some moments. It's yeah, because it definitely house the house with a clock in its walls leans more fantasy than horror for most mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's spooky fantasy. That's a great film. We just watched that the other night. That's one of the Halloween movies we watched. I love House with the Clock in the Walls, which was Eli Roth. Yeah, like, it's, and that's Eli that's Roth right. doing middle you grade told me horror. That. I love Eli Roth. Oh, I know. God, he's so handsome. But yeah, the House with the Clock in its Walls and. Night books are both very, very good recent middle grade horror. Cool. And there's a there's a lot of stuff in Night Books that's like a love letter to the Lost Boys. And I mm-hmm. feel like Lost Boys, that is a classic middle grade horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, we that's also like rewatched recently. My yeah, favorite. So good. And it's my favorite vampire film. It's to fantastic. absolutely it's nobody's so fun. surprise. <laughs> no surprise at all. No surprise. You love you love that saxophone. <laughs> I love that. I love Tim Capello. Thank you very much. He is Tina Turner's sax man. Yeah, very roundabout. But I think if you're someone who genuinely loves middle grade horror, yeah, you will like Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay. 
Yay. I've watched all of the Markiplier videos. I was at a game night at a friend's house and we like he just had that video playing. And I was like, do not touch this. This is hilarious. I go, what the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, that's Markiplier. And I'm like, I, you're speaking words to me that I don't understand. And so we just like sat there enraptured, like watching this. And like, I'm hugging a pillow going, oh my God, <laughs> like this is terrifying, but this is hilarious. And there'll be times where I just put it on in the background because it's so fucking funny. <laughs> he's my favorite. Lynn loves him so much. I mean, I love him too, but I could I never, do. I could never compete. I could never compete with Lynn's love of Markiplier. I love him a lot, but I could never compete with her love of him. And also probably I couldn't compete as her wife with her love of him, but that's okay. We got to meet him at D23, like a bajillion years ago when I was dressed like ago. Charlotte from Princess and the Frog Aww. eight years ago. So I just returned from a two week house and dog sitting job. So it's nice to be in my own lopsided bed with my own bratty cats. Even if it's only temporary, because next week I'm off to North Carolina for Thanksgiving. And then it's my first trip to Disney World. And I'm so heckin' excited. You're gonna plots. I am very much going to plots. Oh, and I finally watched the new Little Mermaid movie, and I really enjoyed it. So my favorite aspects were the kingdom where Eric, you know, is a prince, is very definitively in the Caribbean, which is very nice. And I like that he, token white boy, is adopted, you know, in in like this black community and a black royal family and stuff. So I enjoyed that. I love David Diggs as Sebastian. Um, Sebastian's always my, been my favorite character from Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> no surprise. Um, and so you do love he, him high strung. I do love them high strung. <laughs> I think when I was a kid, I think I just liked Ariel, you know, and I really like Flotsam and Jetsam because they were eels and they were fun. But as I got older, Sebastian definitely became like my favorite because I'm like, oh, me too, girl. Me too. These fucking kids, man. And, you know, and I think that just comes from having worked with children (laughs) and teenagers like a lot. And it's so funny because I don't know why I got it into my head that Jason Momoa played her dad. So I'm like staring at him going, God, like Jason Momoa looks really beat to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful now. Yeah, I figured it out. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was like, oh. Is it just because he plays Aquaman that you got it in your head? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it's just the Aquaman connection. I'm very face blind when it comes to big hulky dudes, I guess. Even though I would never classify Javier Bardem as a big hulky dude. But the one aspect of this movie that was making me the most nervous was the addition of Melissa McCarthy. Just because she's always been kind of like Bobo the Clown <laughs> in a lot of her films, you know? Like they've been very over the top. I was really nervous that they were going to go in that direction with her as Ursula. And, you know, I had kind of always maintained that Ursula should be a drag queen, you know, as an homage to Divine. But now that I'm on the other side of watching Little Mermaid, I actually really liked her in it because I understood that how she was playing it was an homage to Pat Carroll, the original voice actor of Ursula. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was a brilliant homage to her. And I like that she kept it firmly in that ballpark. It was a fun movie. I, I liked it. I really liked it. 2015 Cinderella might be my favorite of the live actions, but this is a close second. I really enjoyed The Little Mermaid. I, I still have lovely. never seen that Cinderella one. I heard that oh, it's, it's cute. beautiful. Like the costuming is fucking gorgeous. Yeah, I got to see that dress in person. Mm-hmm. 
so beautiful. But yeah, I, I, I love The Little Mermaid too. And I thought Hallie was incredible. And I thought her chemistry with the Prince Eric was like so good. They were so cute so. together. Yeah, I know it him so from cute. some PBS show that my mom's watching. I thought he was lovely. And I loved the new like ballad they wrote for him, like his love ballad. I thought <laughs> that, was that was so lovely. cute. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, his little ballad was adorable. And I like that they still gave her songs that she's kind of like singing in her head, you know, like mm-hmm. when she doesn't have her, her voice. voice is so beautiful. Like yeah. you gotta, you gotta yeah. give her more. Exactly. I liked it. It was very good. I'm kind of sad that now that I didn't see it in theaters, but I am sure that knowing Disney. <laughs> they'll bring it back in theaters. They'll bring it back. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. With Mr. Gold banished from town and the Snow Queen saga behind them, the residents of Storybrook attempt to resume their normal lives. Hook and Bell team up to undo some dark magic, while Operation Mongoose is in full swing in search of the elusive author. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is, you can't gaslight, gatekeep, and girl boss your way out of this one, Rumple. Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Talk fairy tales with us on Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. On Tumblr at Once Upon a Rewatch.tumblr.com. The artwork for a podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Hey everyone, Narrator Chell here letting you know that this episode marks the mid-season finale of Once Upon a Time Season 4, which means it's also our mid-season finale. We're going to take a break through the holidays Uh, mostly because I don't want to drag my recording equipment across the country, but we'll return in January. During the interim, however, we will have not one, not two, but three special episodes of Fireside Fairy Tales. That's right, each narrator will be hosting her own Fireside Fairy Tale, so you will not be completely without our dulcet voices over the holidays. Lucky you.